Welcome back to the podcast, Broken, the Suspicious Death of Aladar and the End of Horse Racing's Golden Age. I'm your host, Denise Coito. I'm Fred Cray, author of Broken, which is now out. Any developments, Fred? I mean, we're hoping that this podcast, this book brings forth new information. Has that happened as of yet? It has happened. I got a call from a guy from New York who said that he was friends with Bob Fox. Now, Bob Fox was at the funeral of Aladar, and he confirmed that, that Bob Fox was there the day that Aladar was hurt and at the funeral. And who is Bob Fox, just for clarification? Bob Fox was like a bloodstock agent, which means that he would sell horses, but he was very involved in Calumet and made lots and lots of money off of putting deals together to syndicate horses. So he may have been the one that thought about the breeding right situation for Aldar, where you would sell a breeding right and you would get the money. Let's say you'd, you'd pay two and a half million dollars and you'd be able to breed a mare with Aldar each year. But the farm would get all that money up front, which is what led to their bankruptcy was they got all the money up front. And then when the year came, they didn't have any money coming in because it had all been brought in before. And Bob Fox was involved in appraising the horses for insurance. And according to John Ward, you know, he was involved in some business dealings that many felt were not honest in the sense that the horses were overappraised, that he made a lot of money. And he, he was in this group and they would fly to Paris for breakfast and then they'd fly to Canada to get German chocolate cake. And, you know, they spent money like it was unbelievable. And that's where all this money that Calumet made from Aladar went. Hmm. And that's why they didn't have any in 1990. One of the things he told me was that at the end of his life, Bob Fox, who had made millions off of Calumet, was broke. You know, and, and he, the guy said, listen, you made all this money. What happened to it? And Bob said, well, we spent it all. We thought it would last forever. He then made the comment, you know, that it's almost everybody who was involved with Aladar uh, lost all their money. Hmm. We left off talking about the funeral and how Aladar didn't get memorialized the way he should have been. This week, we're going to take a step back and look at this beloved horse and his racing legacy. We're going to focus on celebrating Aladar. What was Aladar's lineage? Well, Aladar was a planned mating between Sweet Tooth and Raisin Native. Raisin Native was a very popular horse that was very fast. And at this point in time, when Aladar was being bred, Calumet had fallen on hard times. They hadn't really had any winners. The farm had really um, gotten to the point where the owners, uh, Lucille Markey and her husband, were more interested in the accoutrements of horse racing than the mechanics and management of a horse farm. So they would party all around in Europe. They would go to their various homes, one in Miami, one in New York. They would party with the Hollywood stars and Mrs. Markey liked that lifestyle. So for example, in 1958, Tim Tam won the Kentucky Derby and they weren't even at Churchill Downs to see it. Calumet fell into, you know, a, a a place where it wasn't really a factor in horse racing anymore. And they were selling off some of their horses and yet they were spending $10,000 a year painting the fences of Calumet white. But eventually, Mrs. Markey decided that she wanted to mate one of Calumet's broodmares, uh, Sweet Tooth, which had a good pedigree, and raise a native. And they did. And really, all the hopes of Calumet were on the foal that would be born of those two horses. And it turned out to be Aladar. 
So, Charlie, tell me your, your name and how you were involved in Aladar's training. My name is Charlie Rose, and I was involved with Aladar as an exercise rider. And much of the time, I was an acting assistant trainer to John Beach because I was always on the road with Aladar when he was with the main stable in New York. Now, let me interrupt you for a second. Do you know where that name comes from? This is Marky Coyne, Ali Khan, Ali Darling. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. But so, it's, a, it's a name you'll never forget. Right. It's like it, yeah. unlike any other name of ours. Oh, right. Ali Daw. Ali Daw was a, a, a very smart horse, but he had a, a he was set in his ways. He, <laughs> he, he, he liked, loved his routine. He, when he got used to a routine, he didn't like to change it. Like when days, when he was running, when he he would normally be in a later race, like stake race, which would be the eighth race or somewhere, and we would have to hold up feeding and stuff, hold up all activities in the barn, which normally would be at three o'clock. They'd pick up the stalls a little and uh, and. and getting ready to feed. Usually we take the horses out to walk or graze a little in the afternoon. But as soon as Aladar started seeing activity, he would start raising hell in the stall. And because he wanted out, he wanted to be the first one to get out. And uh, the days when he was racing, we had to hold up all activities in the barn to keep him quiet. So. Uh, until it was time for him to go to, to the paddock. Yeah. He's a very intelligent horse. He yeah. can pick up on a lot of things. So when you got on Aladar the very first time, um, had he already, he was a two-year-old. And he had already won a race. Right. So so was it, can you describe, what do you remember about that moment when you got on him? And surely you must have been thinking, oh, I'm nervous, you know, uh, I hope this is going to go all right. Uh, what's the horse? How does the horse feel? Take us through that. Uh, okay. At that point, I, in my career, I knew when I got on him, and he didn't break out. I knew I had it whipped. Okay. You know that, that he just liked me. Yeah. It, it, something that I did, it, it, he wanted to walk that way, and I didn't. Change course. I let him go that way. Or something, yeah. something. I don't know what, but I I let him call the shots up to a point, of right. course. But then, when when you get get a horse in that frame of mind, then he do what you want. Yeah. Now, as you're you're running him the first time, what is your you've 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 sat on a lot of horses, exercised yeah. a lot of horses. Your thought on 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 his performance? What what were your thoughts? Oh, I thought, wow, this was, I had a powerhouse under me. I mean, that must be interesting it, to feel. It that. Just moved so easy, and it, it just it, it was nothing to me. Just like walking the park. So let's talk about Aladar's legacy. Tell us about him. Well, he has two different legacies. He has a racing legacy. And he has a breeding legacy. 
And his racing legacy, as I've said before, has mainly been, well, he came in second to affirmed in the Triple Crown races of 1978. And one of the reasons I wrote the book was to really explain that he had his own racing career and that he had a, a great racing career in his own right. Not just the Triple Crown races, but he accomplished a lot. And his legacy is that he was a great horse. He pushed a firm to his limits in every race. And in the Belmont, which was the last Triple Crown race, man, he, he, it was just lucky that affirmed won because of uh, Steve Cawthon and his left-hand whip. And they're up. That's Affirm going out for the lead. Then Judge Advocate Adelaidar is away well on the inside. Then Noontime Spender and Darby Creek Road. They move for the first turn. Affirmed has the lead by a half length. Judge Advocate on the outside in second by a half length. Along the rail, it's Adelaidar in third, followed by Noontime Spender and Darby Creek Road. They move into the turn and affirmed, going along easily on the hand ride, three quarters of a length. Judge Advocate tucks into second by ahead, but Alidar won't settle for that and moves alongside. And it is Alidar who's going up now to challenge that pace. Then it's a gap of three lengths back to Noontime Spender and finally Darby Creek Road. They went the first quarter slow, 25 seconds. They move to the back stretch, affirmed, managing the lead by one length. Alidar is a very close second by three quarters. Then Judge Advocate third by a length and a half and noontime spender in fourth. Darby Creek Road is six lengths off the pace. 50 seconds for a half mile. Now we've got a speed duel beginning to develop. On the inside affirmed, on the outside Alidar. And those two are letting out all stops. They're going on out together. Affirmed along the inside, Alidar on the outside. Heads apart as they move down the back stretch. Then they've opened six lengths on Noontime Spender and Judge Advocate, and the trailer is still Darby Creek Road. Three quarters, however, went in 114. The pace is still slow. They're moving into the turn. Affirmed holding ahead in front, and Ali Dar on the outside is challenging again. It's affirmed by ahead on the turn. Ali Dar is second by four and a half. Along the inside, Judge Advocate, Noontime Spender, and Darby Creek Road now beginning to pick up the pace. Three quarters, one and 14, a mile in 37 and two. The pace is increasing as they come to the head of the stretch. It is still affirmed as they come to the quarter pole. He's holding on to a head lead. Alidar is outside of him and challenging that lead. The two are heads apart and Alidar's got a lead. Alidar put a head in front right in the middle of the stretch. It's Alidar and Affirmed battling back along the inside. We'll test these two to the wire. Affirmed under a left-hand whip. Alidar on the outside driving. Affirmed and Alidar heads apart. Affirmed's got a nose in front as they come onto the wire. At the finish, it's going to be dead tight. Steve Coffin salutes the crowd. Hello. Steve. Yes. Fred Cray, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing good. I'm 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 excited to talk to you. One thing I have to say about Aladar was, you know, we beat him a bunch of times. He beat us a few times, but yeah. Basically, he kept coming back, you know, yeah. and that's the thing I can say about both of them. You know, yeah. they both kept coming back for the fight, kind of like Frazier and Ali. It's like, okay, you beat me that time, but I'm, you know, I still think I can beat you next time. You yeah, know? yeah. So, 
I've read, you know, all your interviews and all in the book, you know, the books and everything. One sure. thing that I'm not clear about is in the Belmont, you're coming down the stretch. George is kind of pushing you against the rail. So, and you have to go to the left-hand whip. I've heard it described as you planned it. I've heard it, heard it described as it was instinctual. I mean, can you elaborate on whether this was something that uh, it just yeah. happened and you just... It happened, nah. or is it something that you saw? Because there's actually a newspaper article that says uh, something like uh, uh, Cawthon's secret weapon, you know, uh, as if... Yeah, well, I mean, it kind of was in the sense that I had never hit him left-handed because I'd never had, absolutely had to yet. Yeah. So in the Belmont that day, that you know, I realized, you know, we, we're down to our last resort. You know, yep. this is a knockdown drag out, and that's when I switched my stick and hit him, and, you know, he responded to it. It was, and, you know, like I say, it wasn't planned necessarily before the race, but when I got in the heat of the battle and realized that I needed it, you know, I'd kind of always saved it in the back of my mind thinking hopefully it'll, you know, yeah. maybe do the trick someday. And it did. And so what got you into a love of horses? Because you really have to love horses to do this. Yeah, no, I mean, I was around horses all my life. Uh, my mom was a trainer. My dad's a blacksmith, you know, uh, they kind of grew up, you know, well, obviously they were around the racetrack, you know, so they had horses. We always had horses yeah. on the farm. We had ponies when we were kids. And, yeah, I just liked animals. And, uh, um, but, you know, obviously beforehand I was really kind of, you know, I was sports, you know, I like baseball, basketball, and right. football, you know, but, but pretty soon I realized that my stature wasn't going to allow me to compete, you know, uh, competitively, you right. know, at the top level and those yeah. things. So, yeah. And I kind of, you know, at that point started thinking more about, you know, being a jockey because I was, you know, with my dad a lot right. at the track. And yep. so I and hung around and I saw it and, I, you know, that's kind of what, you know, got me going. Let's talk a little bit about Aladar's races. Uh, what can you tell us about some of his more notable races? Bluegrass Stakes, which was at Keeneland, that was a very notable race because the Markies who owned Calumet at that, at that time were able to be there and watch him run live. And uh, it was a very impressive win. And they were so happy to see him in person. And it was, in fact, the one and only time they ever saw him in person run. And they're off. Chop, chop, tomahawk breaks quickly on the inside with Raymond Earl in special honor. Shabua up on the outside between horses five-star general. And moving for the first turn, it's Raymond Earl, the leader by a length. Special honor second ahead. Chop, chop, tomahawk is third ahead. Go forth now into fourth. On the outside, Shabua is fifth. Five-star general runs a sixth. On the inside, running seventh. That's Entebbe. Alidar to the outside is eighth. And the trailer, Sonny Songster. They're moving for the back stretch. Raymond Earl is on top by a length and a half. Still holding second now up on the outside. That's go fourth. He takes over second. On the rail, Chop Chop Tomahawk is third. Special honor is fourth ahead. Go fourth on the outside, fifth. Then a gap of two to Alidar in sixth. And Tebby runs a seventh, followed by Sonny Songster and five-star general trails. Down the back stretch, it's Raymond Early. Opens the lead, now has it by five lengths. Holding second on the inside, that's go fourth. A length and a half back, special honor gaining ground. Shabua is now fourth. Alidar gaining ground up on the outside, fifth. They're moving into the turn, it's Raymond Earl on top by six. On the inside, go fourth, second ahead. Special honor is third. Alidar is gaining ground very quickly. He's going by horses. Now he moves into second. They're into the turn. It's Raymond Earl on top five. Alidar is second. Go fourth, holds third. Chop, chop, Tomahawk now fourth. 
Special honor is fifth. Moving for the stretch, Alidar to the outside. He moves by very easily, takes over the lead, opens it out to three and a half lengths. Raymond Earl still holds second. Go fourth is third. Sonny Songster is making a late run on the outside. We have a furlong to run, and Alidar has opened the lead out to six lengths. Raymond Earl still second, followed on the outside by Go Forth and Sonny Songster. But as they're nearing the finish, it's Alidar just drawing away with the lead with every stride under the wire. Alidar, very easy, maybe a 10-length winner. So tell us a little bit more about John Veach. John Veach was Alidar's trainer and was known to have a love affair with Alidar. He loved Alidar. Alidar loved him. Everybody could see it. Everybody knew it. And I really felt like... John wanted Aladar to win the Travers and the Belmont more than Aladar wanted to. I mean, he just he just wanted what was great for the horse. So normally, horses do not run in the Bluegrass Stakes before the Kentucky Derby because there's not enough time for the horse to rest. But he decided, I talked to him about it. I said, listen, who made that decision? He said, I did. Why I decided on the Bluegrass was that the Admiral and Mrs. Markey, who were very old and infirmed more or less, uh, and we're at the farm in Lexington. They had never had the opportunity to see the horse in person run. Right. And I knew that how emotionally attached uh, uh, Mrs. Markey and the Admiral were to Taladar. And yeah. Lucille Markey was very enthusiastic about Aladar. And, and he was his a salvation man, to, in my mind. Well, it was to the, it was back to the glory years of, yeah. that they had experienced, and and he was going into the Kentucky Derby, which was was an extremely important race for. for for the farm and for Ms. Markey, and and um, so that was that was the uh, I think the overwhelming reason that I uh, that I decided to, to go on, in the bluegrass. The Markeys were really getting old; they were in wheelchairs. Ted Bassett, who was the president of the bluegrass, agreed to have them drive drive them up in a station wagon so they could stand, you know, near the finish line and watch him. And there's a picture, and it's in the book, and it's on the website. As Aladar is going to post for the race in the Bluegrass Stakes, Gene Markey, who is Lucille Markey's husband, says, Hey, George, how are you doing? And George says, Here's your baby. Doesn't he look pretty? And you can see it on YouTube, but the horse stops in front of the Markeys and lifts one leg as if to bow to them. And they take a picture of that. Ted Bassett, the president of the beautiful Keeneland racetrack, arranged for a station wagon to bring the Markeys to the clubhouse lawn. Both are confined to wheelchairs, so their public appearances are very few. They will not attend the Derby, but they came to Keeneland to watch Alidar in his final tune-up, the Bluegrass Stakes. It was a moment to remember as the horses paraded to the post. Watch and listen as jockey Velasquez brought Alidar for a brief but touching visit with his owners. Moving close to the right now. There he is on the left. And to me, it is the most emblematic of what's good about horse racing. Because number one, John Veach is saying, I'm going to do what will be great for horse racing and for the Marquis, the owners, to let them see him race for the first and last time in their life. This happened. Nobody planned this, to, you know, but it just happened. And that picture will, to me, is one of the most poignant pictures in horse racing. How worried were you going into the Kentucky Derby? 
Not at all. No, you didn't worry about the lead changing? I, were you worried about anything? No. You thought we were ready? Yeah. And you were there? Yeah. You saw him load into the gate? Yeah. And now, tell me what happened in the race. Okay, then, somewhere down the stretch the first time, all of a sudden, and if you watch the video close, you can see his head jerk back. And then he starts dropping back, dropping back. When he gets the back stretch, he's 17 lengths off the lead. I said, ah, something's wrong. I mean, he's never done been like that before. Side. There goes Raymond Earl, and Affirmed is right there and challenging between horses. Out in the middle of the track, that's Aesop's foibles into the third spot. Sensitive Prince in the middle of the racetrack moves up as they passes for the first time. It's Raymond Earl now showing the way by a length and three quarters. Affirmed is second from between horses, and there goes Sensitive Prince inching up on the outside. A gap of two and a half lengths. It's Believe It racing fourth. Aesop's Fables is fifth. Chief of Dixieland tucked in on the inside. His sixth fifth point by two lengths. Then Darby Creek Road, followed on the inside by Hoist the Silver. Aladar on the extreme outside is next. Then Special Honor racing tenth. And Dr. Valeri is eleventh as they move on to the backstretch. He came back. He made up 17 lengths. To come in second. Yeah. Well, made up 16 and a half lengths. Second, Aladar gains ground third. Third in the final furlong. It's a firm with Stevie Coulton showing the way by two and a half. Believe it with Ed Maple, he's next on the outside. Eladar is third, but it's going to be affirmed. Affirmed with Steve Coulton is going to win this 104th running of the Kentucky Derby. Eladar is second, believe it third. Gap of four lakes followed by Darby Creek Road, Aesop's Fable, and the rest. All right, so you, you're taking him back to the uh, okay, after so, the race. So I'm, take, so I'm reaching to take the blankets off, and I notice this. It wasn't covering his eye, but there was the remains of a big clod of dirt. Normally, a horse gets a lot of sand in their eyes during a race. Kicked from the Kicked horses up from the horses in front of them, and this usually you have to clean the horse's eyes out right after a race. A lot of horse that come from behind. Right. I know there's big hard clods of dirt were in the blinkers yet. His eye wasn't covered with anything at that point. So we go back to the test pond where they test for drugs after the race and stuff like that. And by that time, Alidor was in agony. He was trying to rub his head on me, rub his eye on me. He was trying to lay down and rub his eye on the ground. The eye was closed, totally closed by then. So I get a vet right away, and uh, they clean the eye out and treat it and put some stuff in it, you know. And did you think that he might not be able to race? I was afraid he might lose the eye. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's how big, I, every horse that comes from behind, I mean, I, hundreds of horses I've seen get hit in the eye. And you treat them right away, and it's uh, uh, ointments that you can use, and, and it usually just heals up right away. But this eye was the worst I'd ever seen. When John got there, John said, okay, just don't say 
nothing about because nobody knew about me and the groom and the vet, mm -hmm. you know. Just don't say anything about it because it's their day. Let them celebrate the day. Their we don't day. Want, it's a firm's day. We don't want to, right. We don't want to sound like sour grapes. Yeah. The Preakness is in how many weeks? Two weeks. And so there's a chance maybe he doesn't get to run. Right, absolutely. I have to say at that point, we got beat by bad luck. Yeah. You make up 16 and a half lengths on a firm and just get beat, you're the best horse. Yeah. You guys had secret information. You you knew you knew you were the only people that knew that that is what happened and that's why he fell so far back. So you must have felt really confident for the preakness. I did. Uh, well, but now at the preakness, if anybody knew the horse, they could tell his eye was still, he still was squinting in that yeah. eye. But nobody would notice it unless you right. were right close to him. There's no way this horse can, bird can beat us. If an alley dog could run like that with that eye, then how, how can they beat us? And so we're going into the Preakness now. Do you remember that race? Yeah. You were there for that? Yep. So tell us about that, what you remember about it. I remember he didn't have to come from 17 left out. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was laid close to the pace. He made him move on a firm right away, and he couldn't get by him. That's all. He just could be fair and square. He, he, he ran good. Yeah. Probably the most controversial race at Aladar was in the Travers Stakes at Saratoga. And uh, the reason is, is that, um, so the race before the Travers was the Whitney. And in the Whitney, Aladar changed leads and beat. It was a very impressive win for him. He changed leads coming around the turn in the stretch, and he just whew, went past all the horses that were there. And they were older horses. And John Veach and Charlie Rose and Velasquez all said, oh my God, he's finally changed leads after all this time. And the next race was the Travers and the next race was with Affirmed. And so coming into this race, Veach said, we are gonna beat Affirmed because we have changed, Aldar has changed leads and we've got that extra oomph and um, the Aladar connection, they all felt very, the more confident about this race than any race they'd ever been in with Aladar. And so here we come to the race, you know, and, and they're off. off. All the lead. Shake, shake, shake on the inside. Nasty and bold now. Firmed is on the outside with Aladar. And they've passed the stands. Nasty and bold on and, uh, the inside. They're coming around the stretch. And a firm kind of gets pushed out to the middle of the of the of the track, and as he goes out to the middle, the rail opens up, and so Velasquez goes right to the rail. Now another factor in this race is that uh, Steve Cawthon is not a firm's jockey in this race because uh, I don't know whether he got hurt or he had a you know another race that he was in, but. He was not going to be the jockey, and so it was Lafitte Pinkai, who's probably one of the most famous jockeys in racing. I mean, he was unbelievable. Um, 
So it's Lafitte Pinkai's first race on a firm. And everybody wondered, you know, jockeys are important in a horse race because, you know, Steve Cawthon knows affirmed, knows his, you know, how he feels when he's a certain thing. So Lafitte Pinkai is, is, is looking around to see where, where Aladar is. And he looks to his right because Aladar likes to come from the, around the outside of the horse. He never wants to go on the rail. But because the rail opens up, Velasquez says, you know, that's where we're going. He pulls Alidar into the rail, and Pinkai sees him out of the corner of his eye, and he says, okay, I'm going to move over and close that lane off. The problem is, is that Alidar is already there. And as a result, Alidar's front feet hmm. clip the rear feet of Affirmed, and Alidar, like, jumps over the rump of Affirmed and, and almost goes down and... Veach and, and, and Rose are in the stands and they are livid because they can they see that Lafitte Pinkai has cut off Alador. Alidar suddenly has dropped back very suddenly and appears to be out of the race. Here's Nasty and Bull getting through. Alidar is back in stride once again. It is coming on again. On the turn. Affirmed, and Alidar will make a run at him on the outside in second, nasty and bold in third, and the trailer is shake, shake, shake. Three quarters in one, eleven, and three, and they're in the stretch. In the stretch, affirmed and Alidar on the outside. Affirmed on the inside, nasty and bold third down along the rail, but affirmed continues to maintain control of the pace. It's affirmed, and he has it by a length and a half. Alidar driving, can't catch him on the outside. According to Charlie Rose, Alidar was going so fast, there was no way with the amount of track left that Affirm was going to be able to catch him because he was going so much faster. So that means, of course, that Alidar now falls back because he's been clipped, and Affirm wins. But the stewards who are, you know, in horse racing, you're not allowed to change lanes so close. It's illegal. You know, you can't cut somebody off and say, oh, well, you did. You have to stay in your lane if a horse is close enough that you're going to cut him off. The firm gets disqualified and Aladar wins. It's the most disappointing because they felt this was going to be the race that proved that Aladar was as good a horse as they thought. And even though he won, it wasn't the way they wanted. And Beach was so disappointed that when they brought champagne, he said, I'm not drinking it. And he said to Aladar, you know, I'm glad you won, but this isn't the way we wanted it. And he was really mad at Lafitte Pinkai because he thought that it was intentional that Lafitte Pinkai cut him off on purpose. So, you know, the whole thing was just a giant controversy. And it was the last time that Affirmed and Aldar would ever race together. To this day, I'm disappointed about that race. And I think most Aldar fans are because that was their chance to prove what they had felt all along, which was Aldar was a great horse and was unlucky in the Belmont, unlucky in the Kentucky Derby, and now got fouled in the Travers. So the Affirm fans say, hey, he never did really win. Yeah, you know, and the Aldar fans say, yeah, but, and I guess, you know, that'll always be that way. But the Travers is a, I guess, the turning point of where it's the, I think, the most disappointing race that ever was for Aldar fans.
it's really great that people are reaching out. If you have any information, continue to do so. And I also got uh, a call from a guy named Dennis Yoakum, who actually was Aladar's groom when Aladar retired from horse racing because he, he had an injury and was taken to Calumet Farm. He was his groom for like two or three months. What was really great about this guy was he told me a story, and I'm not going to tell it myself. We're going to play you the clip of Mrs. Markey meeting Aladar in her limousine. Yeah, it's a really great, it's, it's, it's a great interview. It so. is the greatest story ever. <laughs> and uh, I listened to it again today and I was laughing just as hard today as I was when he told me it originally. M- Mrs. Markey had come to Cali, well, you know, she was at Calumet. She, she arrived in a limo and um, she was in the limo and the window rolled down and she I was the one closest to the limo, and she said, young man, I want to see my horse. Yeah. And I knew who she meant. Yes. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, uh, you know, I did have, wow, what horse is that, Mrs. Martin? You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and so I brought Alidar out and stood him up, and we're, I don't know, we're 100 feet from the limo. And I stand him up, and Mrs. Markey looks at me. She says, bring him here. Yeah. Okay. And so I get to about 50 feet from the limo, and I stop, and she says, young man, bring him here. Yeah. Now, I, I so I'm bringing him to the limo. Yeah, which is – his nose, you know, his nostrils are starting to flare. Yeah. Uh, his eyes are getting big. And, and he's looking at the limo. And I'm thinking there are one of two ways this is going to go. Uh, the One way is the headline in the blood horse that says, <laughs> Alidar and Mrs. Markey killed in freak limo accident. <laughs> and, and, and the other one is where... Melvin says, so when Mrs. Markey asked you to bring him over, you just said, screw that. You're not bringing him over. You yeah. know? And, and neither of those outcomes is good. That's correct. Um, so I decided I would just do what Mrs. Markey wanted me to do. Yeah. And I would just bring him to the limo. And so I brought him to the limo. You know, just the idiot that I am. I just brought him to the limo. And Mrs. Markey's sitting there. The chauffeur is standing outside the limo. Right. I don't know what he's going to do, but he's standing outside. And Mrs. Markey, you know, she'd been around horses for 80 years. Yeah. And she did the craziest thing you could ever imagine doing. She took her little white hanky and she waved it at Ali Dar. Oh, and Ali Dar snatched that hanky so fast it would have <laughs> it shocked you. Now, I looked to see if Mrs. Markey had any Fingers left. Blood, you know. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking for blood, fingers, whatever. And she's giggling like a child. Yeah. And Alidar's stand there chewing on the hanky. <laughs> That's a great and story, man. So I, I reach in Alidar's mouth and I take out this slobbery hanky. I mean, it's just yeah. got slobber all over. Right. Now, I can't hand this to Mrs. Markey. Yeah. I mean, it's it's all slobber. There's, yeah. And, and so I tossed it to the chauffeur. Yeah, I figured you know, maybe you just have yeah. this 
yeah, have, have this ironed and pressed and yeah. delivered to Mrs. Markey in the morning, you know, whatever yeah. you do. But, yeah. Uh, but the only one who, who really seemed terrified by the whole thing was me. Yeah. Um, like I said, Mrs. Markey just thought it was just the funniest thing she'd ever seen and, and really enjoyed it. Yeah. And uh, Alidar didn't seem to mind. You know, I mean, he was a little surprised he got yeah. that close to a limo. <laughs> So what can listeners expect to learn over these 10 episodes? I think what they're going to learn is that the things that they have assumed and the rumors that have been heard and transmitted through the horse community, there's a lot of facts that nobody knows. And they didn't come out. Some of them weren't. A lot of the stuff that came out in the the trials was, was not publicized. People are going to be surprised at the conclusion that we come to. And they're also going to be surprised at how many facts they didn't know about what happened the night of the 13th and thereafter, and how this whole book was investigated and developed through interviews with people and going through the court proceedings. There's going to be things in here that you never heard, that you never knew, and that you're surprised that how could, how could that not be known? How could it be that we're here 35 years later and people still have opinions that are based on what they heard back in uh, 1990 when the insurance investigation was going on? You know, and a lot of people felt when the insurance company paid, they said, well, that's it. It's an accident. But none of the facts that the insurance company never uncovered any of this stuff that happened in the trials or my investigation. And they'll be surprised at, at the people that talked to me. I think it's going to be a great true crime whodunit. Tune in next time as we explore some of the facts that have been uncovered in Broken. The suspicious death of Aladar and the end of horse racing's golden age. This episode was produced by Ashley York and John Fee, mixed and edited by John Fee. David Amani is our production assistant, and I'm your host, Denise. And I'm Fred, and we'll see you next time on Broken, the podcast.